Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with sports psychologist and 33-time national handball champion Daniel Zimmett to talk about his thoughts on mental toughness, athletes in transition after their sport, and the science behind it. Daniel shares how his professional and educational background have shaped his interest in discovering the significance that the identity crisis of life after being a full-time athlete has on individuals. If you want to know more about how to handle the identity transition into life after athletics, then this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hi, Grant. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, it's, um, it's an honor. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about today, we're going to be talking about something that is really important that I think we're, as a society, we're, we're getting to the point where it's becoming um, part of the normal conversation. It's taken a long time, and that's transition, athletes in transition. I've had to deal with it. You have. And the work that you're doing in the, in the study and the research that you're putting behind this topic is, is incredible. So we're going to be talking about transition and, and what goes into it and how it affects athletes life after sport. Yeah, I appreciate the attention to the subject. Uh, everybody really goes through transition. People graduate high school and move on to the next stage, or they endure a divorce, or they move to another place. But only athletes and maybe you could say veterans go through a transition like the one that we're going to be talking about, a very early in life career transition where you're really your full identity has to change. Absolutely. And, and I know that you and, and your staff, your group of people are doing a lot of cool work to, to bring research to life, to, to, to understand this better and to um, equip athletes uh, even coaches too, because they have to transition out of that role as well. So before we get into it, because I know you have so much knowledge, um, let's talk about mental toughness. Because as you're a sports psychologist, you're you're talking about this stuff every day with with your clients. So when you think about being mentally tough or mental toughness in general, what does that mean to you? Yeah, for. For me, mental toughness is uh, it's how an athlete, we'll talk about athletes here in terms of mental tough, toughness, responds to adversity or disappointment. Um, you know, what kind of skills do they bring to bear? How do they cope with it? How do they learn or 
consider or think about the disappointment or loss that they've experienced? And in what way do they end up being able to utilize that to move forward? How do they grow from it? How do they bounce back? To me, mental toughness really describes not the experience itself of hardship or disappointment or loss. It's the way an athlete ends up coping with it, growing from it and moving forward. And from your perspective, considering the work that you do, how does, and again, there are so many ways to get to the end goal when it comes to to being mentally tough or mental toughness. How do you train some of these athletes to be mentally tough? Yeah, it can be really hard. There's some real genuine losses, frustrations, disappointments, injustices, injuries. There's things that you can't really spin in a way where you can just look on the bright side. But having said that, you have to pick yourself up and be able to move forward. So some of it is about problem solving. Some of it is uh, optimism, training optimism. Uh, And I think for a lot of it, it's recognizing that adversity is a part of the experience. Every athlete faces it at one point or another. If you think of it as a part of the package, it's what you have to endure in order to achieve greatness. And getting knocked down and getting up actually equips you to be stronger and better moving forward. If it was easy, people really would not continue to improve. So it's an opportunity for growth no matter what it is. And that's a state of mind. It's an attitude. It's creative thinking and flexibility, uh, accessing resources, uh, acknowledging the emotional experience, and then being able to shape it in a constructive way. I love all those answers. And I could I could literally just spend the next half an hour just talking about your answer. Uh, but I do know, you know, considering the work that you do, and you spent years um, and still are athlete. Um, you still have that spirit in you, but when you think about as an athlete, as a sports psychologist, is there a, like a specific moment, like a monumental moment where you had to be mentally tough? Can you share that, that, that moment with my listeners? Yeah. So, you know, interestingly, I would say that moment probably had nothing to do with sports. It really had to do with academia. So I was a really miserable student uh, for a very, very long time. And by the time I decided to take it on as my own, uh, as opposed to something I had to do, something I felt compelled to do through an energy within me, my grades were already so bad that it was difficult to end up moving forward in academics where your grades are really the gateway to the next stage. So to get into a college or to get into a graduate program is just a minimal grade requirement that you need. I would say one of the pinnacle moments was when I got a 1.7 GPA my first semester sophomore year, which brought my cumulative GPA down to about a 2.1. And I had to make the decision of whether to kind of give up or fold and be miserable and angry uh, and kind of blame the teachers or blame other things, or I had to really take a hard look at myself, decide how I could move forward and make the best of the situation and try to evolve and grow from it. And I was very proud of my response being to really jump in with both feet and just, even though I faced the consequences of that bad start throughout my entire academic life, 
I didn't let it stop me from moving forward to get my PhD in clinical psychology. I worked with it the entire time. Having that relationship with it. Yeah, because it's a little bit like a lingering injury. Uh, It's always going to be there and you have to find ways of working with and around it. You can't let it define you, but it is a part of the process and you have to find a way to be successful anyway. Uh, To me, that is an important part of mental toughness. It's, It's when circumstances are optimal and you're thriving, you need absolutely no mental tools. Everything is just firing at full cylinders. It's when things really go poorly and you have adversity to overcome, there's things not going well, you don't know what to do, and you're facing failure, that's when these skills really become most important. And honestly, it can be very hard to rally yourself under those circumstances. Big time. You know, and I love, I love your, your example, because in high school, in college, I didn't, I initially, I didn't take um, education seriously. I, I, I treat it as an experience. So I had fun doing it, but I didn't have great grades. But when I when I got away from academia and I got into my professional, you know, corporate life for about two decades, when I made a decision to go back at the age of 40 to get my master's in sports psychology, it was my wife had seen this shift because I, I felt like I had an opportunity to kind of redo my whole belief system as a student. Cause I never thought I was that bright when it came to like, if it was sports, which is really interesting because I was a quarterback, one of the hardest positions to play. Um, you have to be somewhat smart to play that position. So it was really interesting when I didn't get an A in my sports psychology program, I was a jerk. I'd come home and my wife would actually, she's like, did you get like a B or a C? And, <laughs> Well, not a C, I got a B. <laughs> but it was just interesting how my relationship was with academia um, and how it was actually, I'm so glad I did for many ways um, or many reasons why I went back to school. And, but that was really, that that um, allowed me to heal a little bit. Yeah. Well, it, it, to me, your story illustrates how attitude really defines so much. A hundred percent. Exactly. And how that attitude affects so many other things, the ripple effect. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of mental toughness, when something bad happens, how do you choose to define it for yourself? Uh, what meaning does it have for you? Is it something that you lament having ever happened? It feels just so unfair and unjust and you fall into a place of loss of control and frustration? Or do you take the opposite approach, which is, this is an opportunity for me to grow, advance, develop, learn, strive, work. If you strike out, you want to learn why and how you can go and get a hit later. If you get a hit, you don't learn anything. You had success, you just go in and repeat the same process. So we really only learn from adversity. And that's what I try very hard to teach to my clientele, but also to have as my own policy, which is mistakes are an opportunity for growth. A hundred percent. I heard not too long ago, uh, another former quarterback that, um, that I used to play with, but he was like, from his perspective, he was like, we learn the most from our mistakes. Yeah, and, I, would, uh, I would say we only learn from our mistakes. Yeah, I love that. Now, we'll talk about your athletic background. 
before we get into talking about transition, what people probably don't know, um, and like you said earlier before we recorded, there there is a group of people in the world that definitely know this, but you've won 33 national championships in handball. You're also ranked third um, on the Senior Professional World Tour. Um, you've done some inc- incredible things in your athletic uh, journey. When you think about handball, which again, it's not, it's not a mainstream sport. So a lot of people probably don't know what it takes physically and mentally to, to, to play that sport. So just in, in general, what does it take physically and mentally to play that sport? And if you were to describe your mindset in handball, what would that be? Yeah, so I can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity to talk about handball, which is a passion of mine. I'm a third generation player. Wow. Uh, my f- grandfather, uh, father and uncle, and now my brother and I still play. My father is 80 and still plays weekly. It's a very rigorous game. It's uh, So I have to clarify that this is not the Olympic version of handball, which is a little bit like hockey with your hands and no ice skates. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, is, um, this is a little bit like racquetball, but with your hands. So you strike a ball with either your left or right hand, and it operates on the same rules as racquetball. Uh, it's the most rigorous game of its kind. Um, it's old, but a study was done on the cardiovascular uh, challenges associated with similar sports, and handball was the hardest to play. I happen to just really love it. It challenges me fully and completely. It's a very tactile game because you're making impact with the ball with your hands. Uh, it's exceptionally rigorous. Uh, and unfortunately, it fits in amongst other sports like it in that it's dying. Uh, so many of these smaller sports have lost attention because of the way that youth and mainstream sport has taken over. Uh, the kind of professionalism of youth sport has made it difficult for kids to really get a all-around experience of the wide range of really fun sports that are out there. And it's, you know, in my opinion, it's it's very sad. We've lost a lot of membership. We're an aging sport. And so many other sports have undergone the same phenomenon. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking as a kid at recess, um, when we did play handball and dodgeball, and I'll throw in kickball. And the reason why I'm throwing those in is because as we're developing as in in those years, that hand-eye coordination is huge. I know. I know. As a kid, it helped me so much. Later in life, later in my football career, just the way I can spatial learning, spatial awareness. You know, the kinesthetic feeling. How does it feel? That form, especially when you know when you hit that ball with a sweet part of your hand. Like it just there's a feeling you get. So, and it's it's sad because it, it is it's dying. There's a, and there's so many other sports that are so crucial not not only to just having joy, but to our development. Yeah, I mean, at its best, sport really teaches us so many things. Uh, I'm of course biased by my profession, but I feel like uh, the number of things that you can learn playing sport is astronomical for healthy development. And I think you need to have participation uh, for the fun of it and in a range of different sports in order to appreciate that. And also so that you bring it into your adulthood because very few of us will be gymnasts or football players 
when we're over 18 years old or at best 22. And so uh, I'm, I'm, this is not a part of the study, but it speaks to transition. People tend to engage in sport for very different reasons through the lifespan. And the competitive aspect of team sport, which is often a part of our youth, is really not a part of most people's adulthood where they want to recreationally participate mostly for fun and not really having to do an immense amount of work to train for it. Not every sport allows that to happen. Uh, tennis mm -hmm. is probably the best example of a sport that has great parallel across the lifespan, but many sports are like football where it's like a huge number as kids and almost zero in adulthood or senior adulthood. Uh. And then there's a couple of sports that are like golf or hiking or swimming, which are really small when you're younger and then really big as you get older. And yeah. it's only through uh, exposure to a wide breadth of sports that you're even aware that they're out there and they give a reason to stay fit and exercise, which is to me just the, the most crucial part of our overall health is physical activity. So important. Yeah. And I've always known that, but now that I'm at the age that I'm at, I, it's, I see in the last couple of years, it's, I'm, I'm really like, I've always known how, how important it is to be healthy and be fit and moving your body and eating well. And now the mental side of it, but yeah, now 25 can really do that to a man. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm 48 right now. So it's, but you, you're, I'm also looking now I'm looking you know, and I, and again, it's not a negative way of looking at the back end of my life, but it's, but I, I do want to be 80 and nine, like, you're talking about your father, like playing handball, like, that's what I want to do. Like, right. so the, the fact that if I want to do that, I've got to take care of now, I gotta take care of now. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I'm in awe just because I love, you know, I love sports and I love them in the field. You've won so many national championships. So your mindset, how would you describe when you're, when you're playing handball, like, I know you're Dan right now, you're the sports psychologist, you're calm, cool, collective, but how are you, do you switch into a different person when you play handball? Well, I think that um, every athlete can appreciate that you really lose yourself in a sport. You become so immersed in your participation that time and self kind of goes away. You just become a part of the game when it's in its greatest moment. Mm. Um, I've become softer than when I was younger. Winning was exceptionally important or not losing might've even been more important when I was younger. Mm. Since maybe becoming a sports psychologist and have, as I've gotten older, my mindset has really shifted to, I want to perform to the best of my ability at all times. And if I win or lose, that's a lot less relevant than feeling like I put my best possible performance out there. And that's allowed me, I think, to approach it with less anxiety, a little bit less pressure. I feel a much greater sense of camaraderie with mm -hmm. my competition, particularly in a small sport like handball. You wouldn't even get the chance to play without our opponents. And so the kind of brotherhood of competition is something that's become increasingly important. But when I get on the court and I'm underperforming, really has less to do with my opponent and more to do with myself, 
it's very frustrating. And so I put a lot of effort into trying to make sure that I can be at my best as often as possible during game time. Do you feel like the, as you've gotten more experienced in your sport and you've got more calmer, do you think that's giving you more longevity in the sport? I hope so. You know, there's a lot of um, testosterone uh, that's on the court yeah. and you can really hurt yourself if you don't prepare well and also play within yourself. You know, I'm over 50. So bouncing back from an injury is not the same now as it once was, and they linger longer. So I feel like I'm much more mindful of athletics in my life across um, a large span of time, as opposed to I absolutely have to get this one specific ball back or I might as well kill myself, uh, which was an attitude that I might have had earlier. Now I think I see things more over a span of, of time and it has helped me enjoy the game, not get hurt, be more mindful of my body and really just enjoy the experience of being able to continue to compete at the highest level, which is a privilege that is not just about hard work. There's also a lot of luck involved. Um, you know, I have some very good friends who were on the professional circuit when they were younger. Handball is very hard on your joints. It's like throwing seven to 800 pitches uh, in a span of about an hour and a half with both hands, as opposed wow. to a pitcher who throws the ball, you know, a good outing is maybe 80 to a hundred pitches. Yeah. And so it's very hard on the body and they've burned out their body. Their joints just simply can't take that kind of abuse anymore. And they're not able to play, not even like they used to. They're really just not, their bodies just won't do it anymore. So I feel very blessed that I can be fortunate enough to continue to play like that. How long do you want to play for? Oh, I mean, I'd like to be, so our national tournaments have age brackets of 80 plus. I would, I would love to be able to compete in an 80 plus, uh, not anytime soon, but <laughs> right. when that time arrives, I, I, you know, COVID coming out of COVID where our courts were closed, our national tournaments were canceled. I really missed it. You know, a lot of my preparation, which is a big part of my health, that exercise is really geared towards tournament time. And without the tournaments, it's hard. It's, it's hard to really motivate myself to keep in that top 90s performance range. It's easy to just let it slip. So, yeah, I do not look forward to the time where I'm not able to compete in tournaments because I, you know, I don't know what I would, what kind of weight I'd balloon up to. <laughs> you know, when you were, when you were talking and, and I swear we'll get into the, the, the topic of transition, but, you know, <clears throat> considering, you know, the work that you and I do with athletes, you know, there was, there was a lot of residual things, positive and negative that came out of COVID and the pandemic. But one of the things that was actually, I, I thought was really neat was I, I heard a lot of athletes when they came back to their sport, when they competed and, or they, they started practicing with their team, it was a team sport. They were like, I, I just didn't really care if I did well. I just, the fact that I get to play. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, Ooh, how, I mean, that's the base, the joy, like, well, why do we play sports? And, um, and so it was really cool for them to recalibrate. 
Yeah, I, I think that is wonderful. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of athletes that saw as, as an opportunity to abandon competition, mm-hmm. which which was really a shame. Um, it can be tough when you get in the habit of not doing something to get back in. Um, but I also have quite a few athletes who have said something similar to that. You know, the the stats became a little less important than just being able to be at practice and be with their teammates and take that bus ride to a new stadium to get to compete again. And they really missed that piece. And they focused a little bit less on the stress, which had really taken over. Perhaps now they're just thinking, oh, it's just great to be back. Right. I had one athlete that was really cool because it resonated with me. He was like, I never thought I would miss the smell of a locker room. And just the smell of it was just like, ah, uh, and it was such a, it was a positive trigger. Like it just yeah. it brought up so many good things. And I, I know for me, it, it still does when I, when I'm coaching or I have an opportunity to be with the team, I could just smell the locker on my, or locker room. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just brings back memories. Yeah. I played travel soccer growing up. And even now when I step on a field of fresh mode grass, yeah. I'm just sucked right back to <laughs> Saturday mornings playing a soccer game. The you know, the smell of the cut lawn, the dew on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I remember those days. I love it. So let's let's get into transition. The Thanks. the work that you're doing. Um share with my listeners what athletes transition study is all about. Yeah. So the athlete transition study. Uh, which you can find by that name on the internet, is a research project. It's a survey looking at the um, transition experiences of elite level athletes and their long-term health outcomes. So what we really want to do is give a voice to athletes to help share with the general public, as well as the stakeholders in sport, the people who hold the purse strings to be able to support the athletes to really understand what they go through in what for many is a very difficult experience. Uh, And that is the moment when they realize they're no longer going to be able to continue to compete at the elite level and their life needs to move into the next phase, which for most does not come at the timing that they would like it to, or for the reason that they would have wanted it to. For many, they're either uh, cut from the team uh, or selected out, or they experience an injury that doesn't allow them to continue to perform like they would like. Uh, and so for many of them, their, their careers end suddenly and it, with a surprise. And for most, they also have not accomplished everything that they would have wanted to in their career, which feels like you're leaving things unfinished, uh, which is a tough thing to live with, especially for an elite athlete. Mm-hmm. So what you end up getting is a period of time where their identity needs to transition. Sport often provides an environment of brother and sisterhood, camaraderie, purpose, uh, and meaning. Uh, it provides structure around the way that your day operates. For a very, very few, it provides some financing. You know, for most people, they're really they're just doing it for the love of the sport. But for the professionals, it's what they think is going to be their pathway, maybe for the rest of their lives. Many athletes don't give a second thought to what their life is going to look like afterwards, really because of how consuming it is to be an athlete at the elite level. 
up to now, we really don't hear very much or have not heard very much from athletes about the transition experience. It's only in the last five to 10 years that people have really started to play, pay closer attention. Uh, our survey really fills a gap in where, in my opinion, sports psychology as a whole has let the athletes down. Uh, athletes themselves have come forward and talked about the hardships of their experience. And those stories are great. They pull on our heartstrings. They really share with us the personal nature of what they go through. It takes a lot of courage to share that vulnerability. But those can often be overlooked to be isolated cases or just the exception to the rule. They don't necessarily allow the robust challenge to our notions of the retired athletes uh, transition. And that's where we come in. We want to make it very clear the extent of the problem, who is most at risk, what do these athletes go through, what are the problems they experience, do they get help, if so, from whom, how is it helpful and not, and who's really vulnerable to a tough transition, and how do we offer support to them through that process, because I think you and I both know these elite athletes are remarkable people. They have the tools to excel in just about any way and just about anywhere, but we have to help them get to that place. And it should not be so difficult to be able to make that transition. We can help them to do that. And then they can thrive and contribute in other wonderful ways outside or even within sport. So when you, when you say elite, how would you, um, how would you define like an elite athlete and when you are surveying, like what, what does that population look like? Is it like what sports, what levels? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. So the athlete transition study is unique in the sense that it is a very wide reaching study. We're looking at all sports that are played at the elite level. Now for us, that is defined as collegiate participation or higher or it's equivalent for sports that really don't have that pathway. And that can include also the way that the European model looks, which is different than our model here in North America. Um, and then there's sports like, for instance, gymnastics, that athletes, especially the female athletes, peak a little bit younger. Same can be true for swimming. So there are these non-traditional pathways. But as a general rule, it's played in college, whether that was D123 or a non-NCAA sport. And we're also looking at women, which actually have half of our athletes have been completely ignored in this population. We're looking at para-athletes uh, or adaptive sport athletes, as well as men. And it's from archery to wrestling and everything in between. We want wow. judo, snowboarders, uh, fencing. Uh, we want badminton, water polo, uh, race car driving, equestrian. We really want the full breadth, particularly the smaller sports, because we feel like there's differences in the athletes who really are trying to take the pathway towards perhaps making enough money where this could be the end all of their career. They could maybe even retire from it. From the athletes who are in sports where they're really not expecting that. Uh, you know, they're spending their own money and time. They're not getting big paychecks for it. Uh, they're doing it for the sport itself, and there may not be an Olympic or a professional pathway. We think that their transitions are different than for folks who play football, basketball, and they're thinking about a professional career. 
you know, in, in a sec, I, I want to do scratch the surface on Olympians because again, that's kind of what you were just talking about towards the end about, you know, they're doing it for the love of the sport. They don't have a lot of, you know, financial backing. Um, but we put a lot of weight, um, hence, you know, the documentary, the weight of gold. Um, I, I do, cause I do, I think it's really important as, as a country, at least I'm speaking for USA, um, how we treat these athletes and what we could do differently, um, with their transition. Um, but before we get into kind of more of the nuts and bolts and going a little bit deeper on the, on the topic, how did you, how did you get pulled into this, into transition? Like, cause as a sports psychologist there's in, in research, there's so many things that you can slice and dice and get involved, but what gravitated you to do this and, and share a little bit about the team that you have in place that supports all this research? Yeah. So, um, I pull. I got pulled into it because of how often I ran into this as a subject with the athletes I saw in my practice. Uh, for so many of them, thinking about the transition or having it thrust upon them and coping with it afterwards was a big part of what they went through. And I've worked with a lot of people who um, their referral is not a sports-related subject. They might be going through a divorce or they're feeling anxious or depressed. It could be just about anything else. But many people are ex-athletes. And the subject often comes up because they know I'm a sports psychologist about their transition. And I got, I got tired of how many people I heard say how they felt like they just fell off a conveyor belt where so much was put into their performance for so long. And as soon as they were no longer a use, they were simply discarded and how awful that felt for them and not really knowing what to do, just feeling completely lost. So I had a member of our team, Corey Boatman, who's a retired football player, uh, you know, a 50 minute conversation became three hours about all of the people he knew in football who struggled with the transition. Uh, these are collegiate level athletes. Um, and how important it would be to really have services in place or better services or to simply know more about them and give them a voice because they often feel unheard. And that's what the study is about. Since that time, everyone who's on the team has become a volunteer. So none of us are paid. We put our own money into this project and we're not beholden to anyone. The survey itself is confidential. I do want people to understand that. And I mean, there's probably anywhere in the range of like 14 to 16 of us who are volunteering our time to reach out to grassroots effort to try to get people to take this to take the survey. And they're all just passionate about the study itself. Um, the people who are leading it, myself, Tim Herzog, Vijay Iannone, and David McDuff, were three of us are sports psychologists, one's a sports psychiatrist. Um, and it's just a personal passion of ours because of how much we care about athletes and the athlete experience. And based off your research, and this is just um, maybe a general question, because uh, like you said earlier, like there's so many different aspects that can affect transition. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you, know, you said, divorce, injury, you know, the list goes on. Um, if you were right now, because you've been so immersed with all this data, like what comes up, like what's, what's the, 
when you think about transition, what's the number one or two or three things that are like really prevalent in someone's transition, good or bad? Like what, what comes up the most? Well, the, the athletes who have the most difficulty with transition fall into a few already understood categories that we're trying to understand more about in addition to other things. Um, and those include identity foreclosure and reason for retirement. Identity foreclosure describes an athlete who really has singularly built themselves around sport to the exclusion of developing other aspects of their of themselves, other interests, other connections, other dreams, ambitions, goals, things that are meaningful to them outside of sport. And as a result of that, when they retire, they don't just lose their sport, they lose themselves. Their entire identity has now been stripped from them. And they have to, in a way, kind of like start over from nothing, maybe even well into their 20s, uh, where you have enough life left, where you, you're not just retiring. Um, but at the same time, you really have no background in anything else to draw your attention. So that's one of the most observed phenomenon. The other is athletes who end up retiring in a manner that's completely out of their control. They have dreams and ambitions, and the two kind of general categories are athletes who are cut or deselected and athletes who experience a injury that precludes their coming back. And this is a uncontrollable situation. So they have no decision-making in the process. And everything about their career process is just ripped away from them, usually in a single incident uh, where they start the day doing fine and they ended having lost everything. Mm -hmm. And I think just about anyone can appreciate how hard that would be for somebody. Those are the two most studied areas, but we believe that there's an awful lot more to that. We believe that athletes who have chronic conditions, pain, or they experience trauma or some other type of injury, particularly head injuries, are yeah. likely to have trouble. The athletes who experience a great deal of environmental pressure outside of sport, maybe they're the main breadwinner for their families. A lot of people may depend on them. And when they lose their income, they're kind of at a loss for how to support the people who depended on them. Um, there's also a lot of athletes who really don't have good support systems. Uh, mm -hmm. They're isolated, lonely. Maybe the sport was their entire support system and now they're no longer in it. And they've not just lost their sport, they've lost their friends and family at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, I could go on with a lot of these types of variables, but they really speak to the same thing, which is preparedness. Uh, how aware are you? How much have you put in place to cope with the moment when this arrives? Uh, and it's hard to do that when your life is really consumed by sport, but it's really an essential phenomenon. You know, it's, it's really interesting. And again, you know, my listeners have heard my story, you know, hundreds of times on this show, but, you know, I, I went through the identity crisis when I left the game of football, but what was really interesting is that it turned into another 
a situation of self-acceptance, accepting myself um, and, and the self-worth. Um, so I can only imagine like some of the, the things that other athletes have to deal with, especially if they're, they, you know, I played football for 13 years. There's some athletes have been playing their sport for 20 something years. You know, what does Tom Brady do right now? Even though that he's won and been everything, like how does he deal with that transition? Um, well, he's someone who really controlled the circumstance of his mm. retirement and knowing absolutely nothing about Tom Brady. I'm sure that it's still very hard. Uh, you know, this is the, okay, so now what, you know, you wake up in the morning <laughs> to really break it down. You wake up in the morning where your first expectation is to have a, a protein smoothie and then hit the aerobic activities for an hour and a half before you start talking to your throat coach. And none of that is on your schedule. You, you, your calendar comes up and it's empty. And that has never been the case once in your life. Uh, your structure has been fully built around your sport. And now there's none of that. But you said, you know, a career of 13 years, you can accomplish a great deal in that time. You know, I think for many athletes, they may really have their careers cut very short to the point where they feel like they look back on their achievements and there's just a, the list feels so scant compared to their dreams and what they put into it up to that point that that kind of a loss can be difficult to come back from because they look back on the opportunity and see it as something that just never came to fruition. That's very tough. Well, and when you think about, you made up a great, brought up a great point about preparation um, because of there's different kinds of, of, elements or variables with transition yeah. so it all depends sometimes it's like you know you can plan for something and be prepared but because of this way in the left field variable shows up and you're not you know and it it presents a different thing for you to deal with so yeah. maybe you weren't prepared for that piece of your transition so yeah. again another broad question but what's what are maybe um three areas like if someone's going to prepare for transition what what what's crucial what's critical yeah so um i'd say uh you know just generally speaking you want to expand yourself to be more than just an athlete and that does not necessarily have to take an enormous amount of time people are very complicated uh we have a lot of skills a lot of interests and talents we're drawn to a lot of different things like I had said before, athletes typically end up doing pretty remarkable things once they get through the transition process and really start to build on the other side. You can start tapping into your interests well beforehand. So I always love hearing stories of guys who play on the NBA, and I bring that up because I was talking to someone who did this, who got his PhD at the same time that he was on an NBA roster. And he just did it in the interim slowly, but mm -hmm. you know, that is setting yourself up for, well, what else are you really interested in doing? Is there a philanthropy, a subject of study? What would you like to see yourself do with the time if you had it? And you can start to explore that early on. The other thing I think to really think about is recognizing that 
there's a range of different things that you're going to need to cope with, and you want to prepare for structuring your life afterwards. Um, you have your physical health, you have your social life, you have to get your finances in order. You really want to think about things like your education, career, or job, um, and having in mind what would you do with your time if you had it. Thinking about that ahead of time is helpful. And you can read books, talk to people, you know, open yourself up to that process. Athletes in general and coaches, I think, in specific, will think that any moment you spend not thinking about your sport is deleterious to your performance. And that is just not at all the case. A person cannot think about one thing 24-7, 365. You just burn out on it. Yeah. And so there's a place for all of this, even while you're participating in it. And I guess the other thing I'll say is try not to let anyone tell you what you shouldn't be doing when it comes to building yourself up, even while you're engaged if in, in being an athlete. If you want to study finance or psychology or anthropology, don't allow yourself to be channeled into something where it's really not your interest, but it might be an easier subject for you to study. Maybe slow it down a little bit, take some fewer classes, but invest in yourself is in many ways the bottom line. You, you are so much more than just an athlete. You are a full and complete human, and you can address that before your transition. Those are all great suggestions. Um, I wish I had those in the forefront when I was leaving my sport. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind when it comes to, you know, as athletes, I know we all want to win. We all want to develop and have success. Uh, but there's, you know, there's that, that, um, that pull to have, to, to get into zone, to experience flow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, this is just my perspective. I think besides winning a championship, which you probably know how to do that 30 something, 33 times. Um, I think when you experience zone and flow, it's the most beautiful thing that you can actually experience as an athlete. That's just my perspective. And I've been blessed that I've, I've, I've experienced being in the zone a few times in my career. So I can only imagine like when elite athletes and such that you're looking at, a lot of them have probably experienced that, that realm. So have you seen where athletes have left the sport, their sport, and they're, they're needing, they're, they're looking for something like, like life after sport. They're trying to get into the zone in life. And there's a struggle there, that, that zone or flow. Do you see that at all? Yeah. Well, I mean, Grant, I'll challenge you with the belief that you've actually experienced flow many, many, many times since you've left sport, probably at a minimum during your conversations with people where you get lost in the conversation, yeah. time seems to go by. Right. But I would make the argument that even more so with your music that you become almost a part of the experience. And if someone were to try to stop you, it would like, you'd sort of be startled out of it. And <laughs> if they asked you, well, what time is it? You wouldn't be able to guess. Uh, and so flow is an experience that happens quite a bit in sport. And when you have elite athletes, they're obviously very uh, kinesthetically gifted. And so it's easier to get to, to flow because 
expertise and challenge combine to create flow. So you really don't get into flow and yes, unless you're both an expert and you're in a challenge situation that meets that. But you can do that in a lot of different arenas, art, m- music, conversation, career. There's a lot of places uh, where you can f- find that experience, even just relationships and talking and meeting people. Yeah. And it's funny, as you saw, when you brought up Obviously, because, you know, we love our work and, and I love working with athletes, but I love music. So you you switched me on. You turned me off by smile because it's true. Like there's so many things in my life, even flow with my relationship, you know, with my wife. There's just that. And, but just being aware of when you're in those moments. Right. You know? Yeah. But I will say, and having never experienced this myself or uh, having experienced it at a smaller scale, I mean, there's nothing like being on a major TV network in front of 100,000 screaming fans and not being able to hear yourself talk. Uh, And so there are aspects of elite level sport that you will just simply never be replicated by, you know, the humans. Right. (laughs) And um, and that is a loss. But there's so much more to experience in life beyond that. That was an experience of glory that will not be replicated, but you don't want to spend your life continuing to redo the same things. There's a lot of other opportunity for greatness out there. And that is where the identity shift, I think, most comes in is where are you going to find those opportunities? And you have to embrace that by moving forward. One more question before we we sign off here. Um, and again, I want to bring back the Olympics. Um, and again, you know, the documentary, The Weight of Gold, it highlighted so many, you know, so many things that need to be addressed and that haven't been addressed. Um, but I, from a transition standpoint and providing resources, and well, again, I don't want to pick on the Olympics, but, you know, as a country, we we have we have great athletes and we spend a lot of time grooming them and producing them um, probably haven't done a great job in taking care of it, taking care of them after sport, but just from your, where you sit, whether it's right or wrong, like what do you think are some things that we can do that could set these, these athletes with a better transition out of sport at that level? Yeah. So the USOPC has done a lot in this regard and they take that role, in my opinion, quite seriously. There's some really great people that work on the mental training side. And in the past several years, uh, myself added to this list, the USOPC has built a registry of professionals who volunteer to work with the athletes um, if, if the athletes want it. And there are also mental performance coaches and counselors on staff. That being said, athletes can have trouble reaching out and the services still need to be built. There's a, there is a lot more to be done to connect those things together. There is still for not just Olympians, but in general, something of a stigma with regard to mental health. And I think that can be particularly true for athletes. So helping athletes come to terms with the fact that all of us face mental challenges uh, and that it's appropriate to reach out to a mental coach. You've reached out to other coaches consistently. And I think a lot more attention needs to be paid towards funding the services that the athletes need, making them ubiquitous to the experience of being an athlete. 
And that's in part what the transition study is hoping to both illuminate. So what are the sports that are doing this well? And what are the governing bodies or sports that could need a little bit of help and in what way? And that's part of what we're hoping the study will answer. Awesome. Awesome. Now, this is where I want all the elite athletes and you know maybe elite coaches as well that are listening to this podcast. I want to get involved with your study. I want to make sure that we're directing them to you. Um, where can they learn more about the study and then also how they can take the survey? And be a part of yeah. it. Wonderful. So our website is athletetransitionstudy.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook with that same name. Uh, we're on Twitter under Athlete Study. And if anybody has questions, uh, there is a contact us on our website, athletetransitionstudy.com. And that will come directly to me. So I'm, I'm happy to answer questions or speak to people uh, who maybe can put the survey into as many athletes' hands as possible. I think the bottom line is that we're not able to do any of this without an athlete's help, uh, with their willingness to share their experience uh, and their wisdom with us. That's the knowledge that needs to be shared. So we really need you. Um, I'm making my appeal. The survey takes 25 minutes or so to complete typically. And uh, we would just simply love to hear from you, no matter your sport, no matter how long you've been retired. Uh, we, we want to learn from you. And I will add to that because I've taken the survey and it does take about 20, 25 minutes. Um, hits every aspect. It's, it's well thought out. Um, also, what I, I'll throw a little plug in on the website, which is really cool, is that there's also another place on the website where you can share your story. Um, which is, it, it's, it's so powerful because I read other people's stories and I was like, wow, cause this is, sorry for saying this, but the shit's real. Like people, the stories are real and it makes my story real or real er, if I can say that. <laughs> um, so just letting the athletes know that not only can you survey, you know, be a part of the, of the study, but you can share your story on the website too. Yeah, there's also a large list of resources for athletes uh, that's available. So if you're having trouble with your transition experience, uh, please go to the website and look under resources and you will find a lot of opportunities for elite athletes to find help in retirement or even during participation, in just a wide array of areas. It's not just about mental health. It can be financial support, job seeking, uh, looking for community. Uh, so we want athletes to get access to the resources that are out there because, like I think you have said before, it's it's so important to know you're not alone. 100%. Dan, thank you for sharing your, your energy and your passion, your mindset as an athlete, but just what you're doing with this work. This is, um, this is really important stuff um, and that you're being on the forefront of it. So thank you for that, um, for that work and just being a part of my show. Thank you, Grant. I really appreciate the time and the conversation and be healthy and keep playing.